Podcast ain't playing nobody. Uh, you build, don't own uh, an advanced gaming system. You... I do now. We bought a Switch last week because okay. the kid was sick over spring break. All right. But you, you don't own or you, you, you've yet to cord cut. Yes. Um, you, do you own a smart television? Do you own one of the smart yes. televisions? This is David yes. Letterman style questioning, Bill. You own a smart, the smart TV? Do you own one? Yes. Okay. Do you utilize the smart TV or do you go with one of the set-top boxes and or the dongles? What do you do there, Bill? We have a box just because that's how we get our cable because we haven't cut our cord yet. Okay. So when you turn on the smart television, I'm staring at one that's that's in my office right now. It comes preloaded with stuff that a lot of people ignore. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I don't, and here's why. I am now officially uh, a, a member of the of the surveillance class. I am a Google fiber subscriber. All right. Which means I have internet that is awesome and they probably know everything about me. That's fine. Um, that being said, I just stopped putting st- things in the television. I uh, got rid of the Roku, got rid of everything because uh, the two TVs in our house are smart TVs. And I think if you're listening to this, the the price dropped on the consumer side so dramatically in the last 10 years, right? Massively. So I have two 4K. I'm just fancy. I'm just going to brag about this, okay? Um, this is like hashtag well, you're a congrats. You're yeah, a I mean, well, blogger. you know, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's like hashtag congrats on the sex. I have two smart TV 4K things, okay? All right. And I started just saying, like, well, why don't we just use the thing? Like, I don't want to plug anything in. So I don't have cable subscription. This has been no problem. I do have the YouTube TV now, and multiple listeners to PAPN convinced me to switch over from PlayStation View to YouTube TV. I think it's a great, great service. All right, so I got the YouTube TV. I record uh, the Americans, love the Americans. I record uh, whatever, kids shows, Teen Titans Go, but I have access to a DVR system in which I can DVR a ton of stuff this fall and have a nice library. And it's there forever. Cloud storage, whole deal. So when it comes football time, it's going to be fantastic. And then this ESPN plus thing happens. Um, Bill, are you ready to pay $5 to watch the Sun Belt? I feel like the number of things there, <clears throat> excuse me, they're offering there. I've, I let's let's put it this way: for sixty dollars a year, there's there are a lot of things I spend uh, sixty dollars a year on that are not as useful as I think ESPN Plus will be. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get a show intro over. We're not going to spend a ton of time reading press releases, although it really has become my favorite way to open a show. But we are <laughs> going to give you guys some homework because I'll get to that in a second. This is podcast name played nobody. It's college football marriage numbers words. My name's Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. I don't really do anything other than this show and a mysterious project that we'll discuss later in the show. He is the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. He is the inventor and proprietor of the S&P plus analytics system. He's written multiple word books that are available on the amazons.coms. Uh, you can get them there. Uh, Bill, let's just, let, let's get into this. I have questions now. If you're listening, I want you to send me your questions about this because I have so many questions about ESPN+. Plus. I know that you guys will too. I feel like the majority of our listeners are in fact cord cutters or people who are interested in this, mobile viewing. You know, hey, maybe you know, we've got like grad students who literally only watch games on a, on a tablet on Wi-Fi. I've got people who just want to get rid of the Comcast box in their house. 
This is complicated, but I think it's a step in the right direction. We'll talk about that in a second. But as you go and listen to us today, I want you guys to hit us back up on hashtag AskPAPN. And I want you, if you have any specific questions that you want to ask ESPN about this service, I I have the email. I talked to our good friend, Carrie Potts. She's the, I think she's basically PR in charge of all things college sports media at ESPN. She has referred me to one of her colleagues who's handling this ESPN Plus situation. All the questions you guys give, as well as the ones that uh, that I generate and Bill generates as we go through this segment, we're going to send those to ESPN Plus, and I am going to blog it. Um, I'm sure my editors listening to this don't believe it, but I am going to blog it as well because there's a, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of non-college football questions I have about this, but I know I'm going to have to pay for this, right? I, I mean, we're going to – I think you and I are both going to lay down our $5 a month, but I don't really know what I'm getting in here's the scarier thing. I don't know how to get it. Um, okay. So this is where I have to live read a press release and then edit as I speak because a lot of this is just – it is a ridiculously corporate press release. Okay. Um, ESPN Plus, that's the name. It's officially the plus sign. Don't don't spell it out. Is the upcoming direct-to-consumer subscription streaming service from Disney direct-to-consumer and the internet blah, blah, blah. Okay. The first thing you need to know, they're using BAM Tech. If you never heard of BAM Tech, we talked about it a couple episodes ago. It was invented by the people who invented that MLB.TV app. So if you have like a Major League Baseball team that you watch out of market, that is the best streaming service you can get. Um, MLB uses it. WWE licensed it off of them when they launched their their VOD service on their app. Um, so it's going to be good. It's not going to be the assy watch ESPN app that we've talked about for years because it's been so bad and so assy. And while I was watching Penn State, Iowa this year with fiber connection in my home, and it was just like barfing up pixelated frames every 20 seconds. It's ridiculous. Um, it was only because I was using the Watch ESPN app, and it was because I did not have a traditional set-top like subscription. Okay, uh, here's what you need to know: ESPN Plus is going to be an, uh, an integrated part of a completely redesigned and reimagined ESPN app. Whatever, uh, it's going to be the premier all-in-one digital sports platform for fans. It'll be available through ESPN.com. The new ESPN app and ESPN Plus showcase the culture. Blah blah blah. I don't hear anything about breathtaking innovation. I'm going to skip way through the like mm, five paragraphs of quotes here from different people that are executives at ESPN who probably won't be working there in a year. Okay, the ESPN Plus programming lineup will offer. Oh God. Okay, just tell me what it is. One, thousands of sports. Good Lord. Uh, dude, this is the longest press release I've ever seen, and it says so little. Thousands of live sports events. High-quality original shows, st- exclusive studio programs, and an unmatched on-demand library. Let's stop right there. So there's my first question on number four right there. You taking notes, Bill? You're supposed to every episode. You no. never do. Absolutely. Okay. No. Are we going to get what we've always dreamed of, which is an archive on-demand? Do you think it's going to happen? Do you think like you and I are sitting around, we're talking one show, and we're like, do you remember the Florida State-Miami game in 2004? And we're able to access that for $5 a month. It's from what I was able to read and you've got the press release in front of you. Lord knows I do not. Um, there's three sounds, more quotes after this. Okay. Um, it sounds like there's like 30 for 30 stuff. There are certain archives, but right. here's, here's what I would say. We don't need like a full on archive simply because YouTube is already that. Uh, guys no, like but, I, but, I, 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 but why can't we get this legit? 
Well, I mean, why they're, they're ESPN, not taking it down. So, I mean, I, why can't ESPN do what they should have done years ago, which is go through the classic. We know they have the footage, right? Maybe. Every year, someone in Mississippi always mentions to me the seven overtime game with, with Arkansas and Ole Miss. Just put it like it, it airs randomly in the truncated form on SEC Network or ESPN Classic. You know, all of the wide right games in the Miami, Florida State history. Whatever. Okay, the Clemson, South Carolina brawl game, all of these things that we touch on anecdotally throughout the year. Can I just go and click on it and watch it? Is that possible? I know it's possible. All right. Hmm. Moving on. I mean, if if I'm ESPN, I'm not. uh, But if I were, uh, you know, and I have like a list of thirty eight hundred different things that we, you know, avenues to potentially pursue or to, to travel down. And YouTube exists with all these games. The, my simple act of not taking them down, not throwing a fit and having them all removed from YouTube, um, that to me is basically them saying, sure, okay, there's your archive. Um, That's and, and so I don't dumb, though, because they could charge – but they could charge fourteen ninety nine a month, similar to like a family, sim- similar to a family Netflix Don't program. Don't give them ideas. Don't let them these ideas in their head. Well, but I'm getting to something here, which is this is this ESPN Plus thing as we go through is not actual ESPN as far as I can tell. No, and this is what I want to get to in a minute. Okay, so here's what they're exactly, which is so frustrating. Here's okay, so here's what they're offering: um, more than 180 MLB games. Um, and then the second bullet point is more than 180 NHL games. So here's my question right off the bat. Disney just bought Fox. Fox owns a bunch of regional properties, right? So I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I watch the Atlanta Braves on the Fox Sports South channel thing, whatever. And I watch the Predators on Fox Sports Tennessee. As far as I know, ESPN has no NHL on their networks and their libraries. So is this because they bought the Fox regionals? This is a question that I have. Accordingly, I would also like to know, where do the Fox regional broadcasts of college football games now fall, right? This, I really kind of, as far as I know, impacts the Big 12 the most because it's very often that I catch on like the Fox Sports Southwest is where you'll see your, your like, like mid to low tier Big 12 conference games. Iowa State, Baylor will be on like Fox Sports Southwest or Fox Sports whatever. Um, I, does that fall into this bucket? I don't know. Uh, boxing, 250 MLS games. I think they already had the rights to that. College sports, thousands of games. They're claiming thousands of games over two dozen conferences. The lineup will be rich with thousands of live sporting events, including football, basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, track and field, and they literally just keep listing sports, like through diving, lacrosse, you name it. Um, and then they list all of these conferences. American East, ASUN, Big South, Big West, Southland, Summit, Sunbelt, WAC, Missouri Valley. So right off the top, you can see, guess what's missing, Bill? A Power 5 conference. All right? So they literally – so like Big South and Southland and Summit and MEAC are in here, but there's no SEC. There's no Pac-12 for obvious reasons. Okay? Um, they break down specifically the spring and fall sports, so – shockingly in the spring they're going to show college baseball and softball and tennis and stuff and in the fall they're going to show soccer football um and then in the winter they're going to show basketball as well as like a bunch of stuff that you're not going to watch golf tennis rugby and cricket blah 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 4.99 a month okay Mm -hmm. this does not have near as far as i can tell Anything that normally appears on an ESPN platform, right? 
So, right. so on the ES, so Georgia and Clemson are playing on a Saturday night, and it's on ESPN flagship. ESPN Plus gives you no access to that whatsoever, right? This is not four ninety nine for ESPN. This is the number one question I've, I, that, that was generated to me organically on Twitter was, do can I give up on my Sling or View or YouTube TV account? Can I just, like, is this it? Because a lot of people are standing with money in their hands with the HBO situation, which was people said, hey, we don't want to illegally stream or download Game of Thrones. HBO, I will pay you 10 bucks and I will watch your HBO shows legit. And HBO finally broke down and said, you know what? That's a really good idea. And now everyone, myself included, has HBO now. This is not that. The reason this is not that specifically, as far as I've been able to gather, and I'm going to ask ESPN this officially, is that they are so intricately tied in with the various conferences and leagues, pro and college, that they can't just barf up all of this onto one app. Right. In other words, like the NBA contract, uh, which is kind of slowly becoming their most valuable, the the small NFL contract they have, and then really the, I think the bulk – is the college inventory that they keep. All of those deals are separate and different. We talk about that all the time when it comes to college. They can't just hand you all that stuff. I think I've said this before on the show. Our colleague Andy Staples at Sports Illustrated three or four years ago, we were having dinner at one of these media events, and he prophesied to a table full of media that one day ESPN would just have to become Netflix for sports. The problem is I don't think that's possible because of the contracts until someone amends this. Right. Bill, jump back four weeks ago. We broke down another press release on the air, and it was the Sunbelt TV deal, right? Included in that Sunbelt TV deal specifically was a vague allusion towards what we now know to be ESPN+. Okay? They, they have paywalled the Sunbelt. That's probably the most notable thing on here in terms of like our listening audience and the college football quality. I'll go back and scroll up again and look. I know sometimes, like all joking aside, we get into some fun stuff and we talk like about the FCS and we talk about, you know, like you, you and I were talking about the Ivies before we went on the air and the Ivies are on here and we talk about HBCUs and okay. The Sunbelt of all the FBS conferences, I think that's the only one listed here. Yep. Everything else is an, an FCS conference. Horizon, Ivy, Mac. Oh, no, sorry. Mac's in there. Mac and Sunbelt. Okay. They just paywalled games that most people would not pay to see. All right. Stay with me. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah, They went niche here. Yes. Who's going to buy this? My general view of basically this entire thing so far is that they acquired the BAM tech technology. They know what direction, like 10 years from now, they know where they want to be. And they're... And I, uh, more or less, depending on contracts, obviously, but th- this, I think this is step one. Basically, they decided to test this whole thing out, test uh, out uh, the subscription thing, test out um, the technology and everything else. They decided to test it all out with as many niche products as they could possibly put together. So NHL mm-hmm. is probably niche at this point. MLB, the people who watch like every team, every game for a certain team is almost qualifies as a niche at this point. Uh, Sunbelt and tennis 
fitness and boxing and da 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 da. Like basically everything they don't have a giant contract for right now. They try. They it appears they're trying to mash it all into one product just to test things out and see, kind of pave the road a little bit. And then as co- contracts come up, as contracts become available, they can. This is like if Netflix tried to become the Netflix of video, uh, like five years earlier before they had all the kind of the, everything, or ten years earlier before they had everything kind of locked down. You know, yeah. they had the technology, but not the the rights to stuff, and so they're just kept, they would have just been trying to piece together the rights here and there. It is a very weird weird world in that the contracts for things have to deal with like eighteen different kinds of technology now, um, and it becomes it, it's going to be a really tricky road for them to travel. But I see this as the you know this is the road paver here, and um, we just have to kind of see at what point they can get the big stuff figured out. This is not the big stuff. This is like everything else. But that's, I mean, maybe it was the only way they could start down the road, or maybe it was just that they decided this was a really nice step. Uh, because I do think you start adding those niches together, like you know, a couple thousand Arkansas State fans or a thousand Arkansas State fans and a couple thousand Appalachian State fans and and a bunch of tennis nerds and a bunch of boxing nerds and the people who really will religiously follow their baseball team or their NHL team um, and they don't get all their games already locally or maybe they're not local at all and that's the problem. Okay, so let me pause you right there because here's where I'm confused. I know that ESPN has purchased the Fox library inventory for sports, Mm-hmm. At least the, some of the regionals. I don't know what to. So I'm very confused now, and no one seems to know the answer. 180 MLB games is not that much because right. there's individual games, so it's 163 times 30. Um, they went from, as far as I know, having zero NHL inventory to now having more than 180 games in this press release. Where the hell did that come from? So yeah, I don't. I, I don't live know where in Nashville. Do I have to pay 4.99 now to see the? Because there's there's two sport, so I do the college football for a living, and I watch all of it, and we do this podcast, right? And then I basically have some sort of like ritual grieving 16 times a year with that awful NFL team I cheer for, and then yeah, that terrible like, team that's made the playoffs the last few times, yeah, yeah. Bill, one. I swear to God. Um, so but terrible. as far as a normal sports fan goes, like I will turn on a Braves game while I'm doing something. I will turn on a, a Predators game in the regular season while I'm doing something. If they're in the playoffs, obviously I'm watching like, a, you know, much more, much more attentively. Do I pay for that now? Like, is this, no, this I, is I very confusing. Is this is the stuff that, uh, that online rights weren't already assigned for. So I'm guessing like, if you want to pull up, However, you were viewing the Nashville games before, you would keep right on doing it. But these are games that otherwise would be missed. You're right; that's not very many games, um, yes. and so it it is probably like the games that got scooped up in like the blind spots for whatever reason. Right, um, and of course, by the way, all these have asterisks next to them on the pro side that say blackouts apply. Right. Which I'm here's what I'm guessing, Bill. I'm guessing that I'm not going to get, and you listening to this, if you are a Texas Rangers fan and, a, and an A&M fan, you're listening to this right now in the greater DFW television market, here's my guess. They're not going to be carrying Ranger games that you're going to pay $4.99 for. Right. What they're going to do is is take control of the Fox Sports Texas or whatever, and you're still going to have to pay a cable subscription or a YouTube TV type subscription, which actually they don't carry the Fox affiliates. You're still going to have to pay for that somewhere else. 
So I'm just, this is so freaking fractured and confusing. And this is why I wanted to talk about this. I think just think of it as a first step and and it starts to all make sense. Like this is, we don't have what we're, what we hope we will have five to 10 years from now, but here's what we have right now. (laughs) Um, Um, The the last thing before I get into the actual impact on mid-majors, because I do think this has a a potential to be positive in like a decade. Um, This is an app. This is something separate from ESPN. It's not preloaded onto most of the devices in America. So here's the other sticking. So on a consumer side issue, here's this is the biggest question I have. I can download whatever app you make available on my tablet. I cannot do that necessarily with a smart television, and I cannot do that with consoles or unless you make this available on um, uh, what's it called? Fire, Amazon Fire, or or Mm -hmm. Roku, or a PlayStation Four, or whatever. I think what's going to happen is a bunch of this stuff is just not going to be accessible on a lot of people's streaming devices, at least not for like a year or two or three. And that's just going to make it even more niche, which I think is a huge problem. So for instance, I just preloaded, I finally signed in on my actual television with nothing attached to it in my office, just a regular television, YouTube, YouTube TV, the Fox streaming app, the ESPN app, all that stuff. There Are they going to push out a whole new app to all of the multitude of devices that are out there for the American viewing audience? I don't think they are because that takes time and money. So that's the other big question I have. Now, the last thing, the actual sports impact of this, not consumer side. Do you think, right off the top of your head, is this a good thing for the Mac and is this a good thing for the Sunbelt? I think more Sunbelt than Mac because the Mac already has that niche Mac thing that we've talked about for years. We didn't see terms disclosed on the Sunbelt deal. Is this four ninety nine that I'm plunking down? Do you think like three cents or five cents is, is going to end up in Carl's pocket down at the Sunbelt office in New Orleans? That one's kind of a – it's definitely a risk because, I mean, on one hand, these are games, again, that probably weren't making it on anybody's television anyway. Uh, and so they really, so for the Sun Belt especially, like this is just a more convenient way for fans to see games that only they'd be watching. So like that, I mean, sure, like you, maybe you make, you, maybe you get a hair of extra money for it. Um, and, because the and money, maybe, the tel- the television money, as you know, Bill, is the single, the single factor dividing the haves and the have-nots. It is the difference between hologram waterfalls and we have to go get our asses kicked by Oklahoma and Alabama in September to make our budget for the year. That's mm-hmm. true. Is this going to help level the playing field at all? My guess is marginally not enough to discern any kind of program. Right. I, you know, it'd, be, it'd be a combination. It'd be number one. It is marginally a marginal good thing at best. Uh, you know, at worst it's marginally good, I think. But then, you know, maybe they're just hoping that there's like an early adopter thing here that, that benefits them down the line. Probably won't, but I don't think it hurts to try, honestly. The Sunbelt and the Mac are really going to have to rally around this, and they're going to have to educate the consumer base and go off on on, on basically self-financed and self, self-generated self marketing campaigns to explain to people why they need to, one, download this new app, and two, pay $5 a month for it. Um, and I'll be interested to see what the, what the recidivism is on people who stick with it to watch right. their, you know, watch their University of Akron games or, you know, whatever. Um, it'd be very interesting. Um, if you have questions, if you have, and look, here's the deal. I have a, like, we're going to bother ESPN PR about this because they love to bother us to pitch us stuff. So if you have a really (laughs) specific question, like I do, like, do I have to pay to watch my hockey team that where the arena is three miles from my house? Like, 
ask it like hashtag it and send it to me and I will ask people and, and try and get a better explanation. Um, I think the reason we spend so much time on this bill is because people always ask us about it. We've seen the traffic for these type of posts on SB nation, but also you cannot, I, a long time ago, I had a different job and a different life and it involved one of the things that involved was selling uh, television inventory to foreign markets. And so I actually know what the cable landscape looks like in Spain and in England and in a bunch of other countries, and there is not a sport on earth that is more complicated on the television side than college football specifically. Period. There's nothing more complicated. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to consume college football's televised product as a whole, you have to do more crazy stuff yeah. than you do for any sport in the world. Period. Full stop. It's annoying. Yeah, we're here to service that annoyance. <laughs> Bill, we have a packed show. Yeah. We have a packed show. Um, we have, I, I guess, let, let's just bridge from one request. Basically, in, we'll just call it an invective. You are how many teams in on the Mountain West preview? Uh, I, this, I finished, I think, number five today. So I'm already almost half done. Okay. This no, is six. a call to, I, Today was number six. six. Yeah. Right. This is a call to agency. If you're listening to this, I want you to do something. I want you to find your favorite Mountain West preview. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Nevada, Boise. I don't UNLV care. UNLV was a good one. UNLV was a good one. Powder River, WIO. Go, go Cowboys. Yeah. Um, then I want you to tweet it. <laughs> Period. We get into these lulls during the baton death march of college football previews, and everybody swears how much they love it, right? Year round. Oh, Bill's preview starts the 30 seconds after the national title ends. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> Prove it now. So I think why he's saying this right now is that um, I, I noted that, you know, so there is, he's right, there is like a, an enthusiasm. I start writing about, you know, Apple, uh, you know, Georgia Southern or Coastal Carolina or whatever. The Sunbelt previews get a nice buzz just because, holy crap, we're already talking about next season and it's fun. Um, <clears throat> there's t- typically a little bit of a lull then with Conference USA. They're usually the second conference um, because there are a lot of, pro- you know, there's FAU got plenty of, you know, response and whatnot, but there are a lot of teams in there that are, you know, are, are spinning their wheels a little bit. They, I, I don't, I don't recall the Charlotte preview getting very good uh, social, uh, you know, exposure. And that makes sense. One thing I noticed though, uh, the last two conferences. So I finished the Mac last week, early last week. Um, yes. and the, just based purely on like tweets or emails or just interaction I have about these, I was actually pretty, ha- I, I, the, the level of interaction I got with almost every single Mac preview, not quite every, but close, uh, was, I was impressed, um, and I, I, you know, there was a certain energy there and, and part of it is because I'll be honest, part of it is because I was pretty positive about a lot of the teams. Like I, like I said on this show a couple of times, I think the Max kind of got its act together a little bit this year. And even the last year's terrible teams, Kent State and Ball State, Kent State made it a hire that I'm warming up on quickly and Ball State, like their entire two deep got injured and lost for the season. So of course they were terrible. And now that they get those guys back. So, part, so that was part of the energy, I think was just, I was saying nice things. Uh, but then we start the Mountain West and um, San Jose State lands with a thud. Hawaii lands with a thud. Nevada lands with a thud. New Mexico lands with a thud. Air Force gets the, the, the when I tweeted out the fact that their offensive radar chart uh, kind of looked like a fighter jet. That that got kind of fun uh, like levels of, of social you know, interaction. I retweeted, yeah, I retweeted that one. 
But then the actual preview didn't get anything. And then today's UNLV preview has landed with a thud. Um, like, I think I probably got more interaction with the Kent State preview than I have with the first half of the Mountain West that I've done. And part of that is, I mean, I was pretty positive about UNLV, at least uh, Nevada to a certain degree, Hawaii, I guess Hawaii. Um, but I, I understand that part of it is I didn't really have a whole lot of nice things to say about San Jose State just yet. New Mexico, first part of the preview was basically saying, huh, Bob Davies still has a job. And I didn't expect that with everything that went down. Uh, and Air Force wasn't amazingly positive. So that's part of it. But it has just been, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a screaming into the void with, with the Mountain West this year. And I, I don't want to make any broad generalizations about this proves that, you know, morale is low with this conference, but it kind of feels like the morale is low with this conference. And um, so what happened? I, I mean, not with the preview traffic. I'm talking specifically about right. what happened with this conference, it, because well, we've always thought of it at the 10,000 foot level of Boise and, and we've seen kind of like a shaky proof of concept that you can turn the Colorado state job into something good. And Wyoming was fun and Josh Allen, blah, blah, blah. But grumble, grumble, grumble. this is not a deep conference. Yeah. I, and and part of the reason, too, is like so there were basically six, six good teams and six bad teams in the in the Mountain West last year or six reasonably good teams. Uh, but one of them was Utah State, lost a bunch of close games, uh, really only was known for losing to New Mexico State in the bowl. Uh, but they didn't make a bowl and they were really close to something a lot better. Uh, Wyoming w- got a lot of oxygen this year, but Colorado State was a little bit disappointing. And then now they lose a ton of their of contributors from last year. They're trying to patch a bunch of holes with with grad transfers at the moment but um they were a little bit on the disappointing side san diego state was very good but not quite as good you know they they lost the division to fresno um and and again their bowl loss was about the most memorable thing even though they beat stanford i think that most people would remember the bowl loss above anything good they did last year fresno state surged but then kind of you know tuckered out at the end of the year as well uh or or as our as our apparently as our colleague uh grant brisby said in slack the other day poodered out they poodered out um, I like that. So, but yeah, I mean, maybe there's just like, there's a sense that if, if this is real and I really don't want to go too far down this road just yet, but if this is real, that there is a kind of a, just a malaise with the mountain West, the uh, mountain West malaise, uh, MWM, um, that, that it's that no program right now is as good as it has been at some point in recent history. Fresno is, is on the rise, but they're still not kind of, they're, Pat Hill or Tim DeRuiter peak just yet. Boise State is very good, but not 2010-11 Boise State. San Diego State is good, but not quite 2015-16 San Diego State. Uh, Wyoming is now facing... Actually, I, I am really looking forward to writing the Wyoming preview on Friday, just so I can mention Josh Allen like once at the very top and then just write about Wyoming again and how good a job Craig Bull's doing. And so we don't have to get sucked into the same Wyoming uh, conversation that I've gotten it sucked into approximately 14 million times over the last 12 months um, and point out that Wyoming was actually good last year because of their defense, but, uh, and, and that defense returns a lot of guys. So they could be pretty good this year. But I mean, a lot of these teams are just kind of Utah state, you know, they went crazy at the beginning of the decade. They had Chucky Keaton, they had all this oxygen. Now they're, yeah, they're fine. You know, it, it, a lot of these programs are just kind of struggling to top what they had done at some point in recent history. And, and maybe that's kind of cause for it. That's, you know, I'm seeing the same energy in Missouri. So maybe this is actually a thing, you know, Missouri ended up 
being a very good team over the last half of the season, but the energy level uh, for anything football related basketball is kind of off the charts with Missouri right now. Cause they actually were decent again, but, but football is just, this whole spring has just been like deafeningly quiet. Uh, and, and part of that's because, you know, they haven't had any knock on wood major injuries, but um, I do think that when you rebound, but you aren't quite as good as you've been in recent history, it, it's hard to generate like major energy about that. And so maybe that's a problem. I'm not even going to make you don't belong in the SEC jokes. I'm not. I'm above that. Well, right now, the biggest I'm problem Missouri has with being in the SEC is the fact that it can't get above 42 freaking degrees here. So like every baseball game has had about 18 in attendance. Uh, that Ugh. has been that baseball has always been the the least SEC thing about Missouri, which is weird being in the state with the freaking Cardinals and Royals. But um, anyway, that, I'm going to stop myself there before I go on a seven minute rant about the weather. Cool. You know, All really right. Sounds good years. to me. Um. <sighs> you can't live on perpetually topping yourself. And I like the, I like the example that you use with Utah state because they haven't fired wells. No, they're, and, cause they're pretty solid. They're, they're, right. they're, they're good. Solid. And it would make sense to like Matt Wells was a, was a, a hot job guy, like what a year or two ago, a couple of, years. you know, Matt, before they bottomed out the previous year, 16, right? Yeah. He was a guy that was, was getting looks and, you know, people were talking about him kind of like at the level of a Neil Brown or Scott Satterfield. Um, what do you do? You don't fire the guy. You don't, you try and reload, you try and rebuild. I hear this a lot when you talk about non-traditional sports and in, in, in non-traditional markets, like I'm thinking about hockey again, but when teams that are in non-traditional markets suffer just like normal expected declines mm-hmm. or even if they just readjust and like it's a it's a bad salary cap here or whatever they it, they just they tend to plummet on all the other sides of like attendance and revenue it's just hard to maintain interest and i'm not saying that if you live in logan utah you're not you don't you're entitled to be as much of a college football fan as someone who lives in tuscaloosa but it's hard around these small brands to keep the thing going to keep the the buzz going and also i think <laughs> not on this program or any of its listeners in the greater college football world, we have patience for like four of these schools a year tops, <laughs> right? Total Boise is one every year. Um, we talk about Boise in September. We forget when they lose a game and then they finish the year, like 10 and two or 11 and one. And then at the end of the year, we're like, man, I wonder, uh, I wonder if we could have beaten Boise. That's usually what <laughs> I get down here. Um, then you have like your Western Michigan of the year, Houston, that kind of thing. So if you're Utah State, Toledo is a great example of this, by the way. Yeah. Because people just did not have – people did not have the corresponding Q rating for Toledo last year that they probably should have, at least in terms of the amount of talent. I think Jason Candle's probably a guy who – hmm. If I did the old tailgate test and I went to a random tailgate in the SEC and I started talking about Jason Candle, <laughs> I bet people would ask me who that was. Yeah, I bet. They wouldn't ask me who Neil Brown or Scott Satterfield was. Maybe that's a Mac issue in the fact I live in the South. Maybe not. I don't know. You think that would happen if I was in an Ohio State tailgate? Do you think they'd know who Jason Candle is? I, I bet they would. Uh, 60%, I don't know, man. 60%. I don't know. 50 maybe. I don't know. So I think this is the problem the Mountain West suffers from. I don't want to drag out the geography conversation. I don't want to drag out the time zone conversation. Besides, we have to save those for the Pac-12 preview. Hey-o. There you go. Um. There are interesting football things going on, though. I, you know, when Jay Norvell got hired at uh, at Nevada, I was like, "Huh, okay, 
I could see that. Like, it's an interesting thing. Um, I didn't, I, and I, I'll jump in. Like, with I didn't. I thought Jay Norvell was a weird hire just because he hadn't actually been associated with anything good for a few years. Uh, but then he turned around and made, I love that he hired Jake, uh, Jeff Castile as his defensive yeah. coordinator. Didn't stick at all the first year, but I thought it was a creative touch. And I love that he, you know, he, he uh, Matt Mummy's running the offense. Timmy Chang is uh, like receivers coach. Um, he he kind of got the old, uh, like a fun band together uh, and they were uh, pretty rock solid the last half of the season. So that really, I didn't love the Norvell hire, but I liked the hires he made and that they might that, be I think able that's to get somewhere. You have to do is something weird or different that mm-hmm. we kind of, that we honestly, this is again, I hate to do these sort of media side conversations on a consumer facing, you know, entity like a podcast, but I do think the mountain West has to go out and say, Hey, media people, we're doing something cool. Come look at this. Um, and then we we kind of proselytize. Boise is really good at that, and no one else is. And That's even Boise, like I said, I would say Boise isn't doesn't have quite the Q rating that they did a couple of years a few years ago either. Boise uh, hasn't slayed a dragon in a while, and Boise Boise needs to go out and whip somebody's ass in the yard again, and they haven't done it. <laughs> and I think a big, like a big boy. And I, I said I didn't want to go too far down this road, and here I am going too far down this road. But um, we, you know, they are doing some. There are some good coaches in the conference, but <clears throat> you know, the mid majors get attention when they're innovative, like the like Maxion. You know, twenty eleven twelve. You know, every time you turn on a Mac game, it's like you know fifty to four to forty two or something, or sixty three sixty or sixty six sixty three, um, and. Yeah, that was incredible viewing. But now they're a conference with like half te- half of teams that are doing pretty well defensively, and the other half's doing pre- pretty well offensively. There's not a lot of innovation there. Um, like I said, the energy seems to be pretty decent from hires and whatnot. But but Mountain West might be kind of the same way in that you know what's the big innovation right now? Run pass options, right? Um, who? is standing out as an innovator like the, the, the cool thing about mountain west just as a viewer is that there are 12 different offenses uh you know in from 12 different teams that was something brian harson mentioned in the in the boise state thing i did last year like you got to prepare for new mexico one week and then old school power in san diego state and then kind of pro style verticality with colorado state uh and then you know old you know david yost uh spread offense with utah state and every single one of those teams is different you know he's going to be a run heavy super fun offense uh as well but there's not a lot of you got to check these games out they're doing something you've never seen before you've seen what they do it's just they do it pretty well does succeed is that you do get you get a clash of styles where ucf plays navy who then goes to play houston and who then goes to play tulane and like whoa man totally unique systems that you're approaching on a week-to-week basis the talent level's better and the q rating is marginally higher and they're better mm-hmm. they're, they're better i mean honestly what's held the aac together the last couple of years is just high profile coaching and right. that sort of that sort of walks you into it i think i said this a couple of weeks ago they should just market themselves as like if you're if you're an fbs t- or if you're a power five team and you're you know you're gonna fire your coach or you have fired your coach by like october 15th just start watching the aac and trying to figure out which right. you want to hire Uh, you don't get that in the mountain West. You don't No, And you really like last year was a really weird coaching carousel and the number of mid majors that weren't hired. Um, so outside the AAC, yeah, there wasn't that buzz. And part of that is because of the coaches they hired, you know, Jeff Tedford, Jeff Tedford is not young. Rocky long is not young. Craig bowl might still be able to make a power conference move, but he's not, he's not young. Um, and then let me stop you right there. Those three guys are running great 
programs. Tedford should yeah. be commended for for just coming in and laying hands. Right. On, we'll see on how like, long he can keep it up or whatever, but he he did a wonderful job. I last mean, year. just total Lazarus moment with Fresno State because they're a slippery slope and that they're horrible. Lots of challenges in the valley and bam, they're like they're vintage Pat Hill good again. So yeah, no, that, he did a great job, but he's, but the he's three, Jeff Tedford. But the three things that, are, that those guys have in common, Bull, Long, and Tedford, are that they are older. They're running programs that aren't really trying to appeal to your consumer sense. You're you're viewing yeah. you're, you're sort of like <laughs> you know quick synaptic firing type moment of like a Twitter video or a you know a fun social meme like Tom Herman's answering you know Houston rap trivia for SB Nation and. and that's not those guys. And it becomes this weird push pull of like all three of those programs are going to be fine. San Diego state has been quietly probably one of the most consistent programs in the country. Oh, yeah. And we just don't talk about them because they don't really want to be talked about. They have never said, I've never seen a San Diego state feature. Pumphrey got a couple. Um, I know yeah. our buddy Adam Kramer went out there and wrote about him, but it was just, it's just a player profile. So like no one talks about those schools as being fun or exciting and we don't really push that up and we don't really do anything with them because they don't really want that. And so the question is like, do you, is that mandatory? Cause those are good football teams, but right. they're not carrying yeah, what they're not carrying go, water for people to tune in and get excited about the mountain West. Boise does that. And to go further down that road, Troy Calhoun at air force, uh, Bob Davey at New Mexico, even Norvell at Nevada has already pla- passed 50. So if you're, if you, I guess if you're a mountain West guy who, or gal who, um, you know, if you really want to push this conference into the limelight as a kind of an AAC situation, you need, you need Harson to make Boise Boise again. You need Bobo to peak at Colorado state. And then you need like, um, Rolovich at Hawaii, Brent Brennan at San Jose state to, to really push forward and, and bring some energy to the table because yeah, that it, uh, fair or unfair, we do look at these conferences a lot just to scout our next, our team's next head coach. And right now in the mountain West, um, especially if Harson's not really leaving, uh, then you've got Colorado state, you've got Bobo at Colorado state. And like I said, I think they're, re- they're hitting a reset this year. You've got Tony Sanchez at UNLV who really, who has just pieced brick by brick by brick and is pushing that program forward, but we'll see what upside it has. I think it's got a decent amount, but we'll see. Don't lose uh, that Howard. Right. Uh, and then, oh man, I, I, I enjoyed today's preview because I got to point out they lost to Howard whipped Fresno in Fresno lost to Nevada to miss out on a bowl. Um, Man. But then, like, you know, the two worst teams last year were San Jose State and Hawaii. Those were the two of the young coaches. Um, and they just didn't, you know, Hawaii got bit by the injury bug and then lost a bunch of guys to grad transfer. And so he's starting over this year. San Jose State has is, is starting, is kind of perpetually starting over, but it's definitely starting over this year. So, yeah, if you're looking for your team's next head coach, you don't really have a whole hell of a lot of reason to watch the uh, Mountain West this year. I think we need one of those, one of those projects, one of those like oh, we're taking new ideas and concepts and doing something different type stories to actually show fruit. So I'm looking at you, um, San Jose, Nevada, uh, UNLV. I don't know what we do about New Mexico now. It's kind of toxic. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to. I wrote my preview, and that's really all I have to say about New Mexico uh, for the next 12 months or so. Yeah, pretty interesting. Um, there's good football in there. There's good football everywhere. Um, 
Boise State going to actually be that team this year? I don't even think they have a killer on the schedule, do they? Um, I don't. Who do they play? I'm blanking all of a sudden. I haven't gotten to the Boise preview yet, so I haven't formed a, a complete opinion on Boise. I figured. But, uh, but I, I figured. think so. I think they've, I mean, they're going to be good. They do have a killer. Are you ready? Uh, oh, this is, not, this is not necessarily, this is not the September that necessarily makes national headlines, but in football circles, if they sweep it, they will be noticed. Yes. And that's at Troy, uh, UConn. At, uh, at Troy, UConn at home, and then at Oklahoma State. So you pick off an Oklahoma State team that can maybe win on, you know, go on and win nine or ten games. It's not going to get you in the playoff, but it'll get you in the partner bowl. So yeah. this is yet another year in which they could sweep it and go undefeated. And I definitely think they're on the they're they're sitting on the outside because BYU is not going to be strong enough as a non conference opponent in November to carry them anywhere past just being the G five rep. Yeah, yeah. I hate to say that, so matter of fact, but. I'm right. Yeah, no, they, I mean, it would be, it would be hard for them to generate. And, and I mean, they'll have also beaten some pretty good mountain West competition in that. But I mean, I, you know, my opinion at this point, at this point, I don't even think Houston makes it two years ago. Um, and you know, I, I dare the committee to change my mind on that one, but yeah, seriously, um, Bill, we have a ton of questions. Yes, we do. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, as always, thank you guys for writing in. Um, I will pick one to start with and then we'll just go every other and we'll carry through uh, for really as long as we want to. Um, Hey, another Nebraska question. (laughs) Nebraska is the new Wisconsin on PAPN. Scott Allen Johnson asks, what comes first? Nebraska big 10 conference championship in football or Nebraska basketball NCAA tournament victory. Um, I'm just going to (laughs) say just for the hell of it, the football side, because I can't tell you anything about the basketball side, except that I know that Nebraska is historically terrible at basketball. Uh, yeah. And let's, uh, let's see, they've been to the tournament once in 20 years. Um, so two tournament trips ago was when they had Tyron Lou, uh, the Cavs, I guess, currently on leave head coach, uh, as their point guard. So it's, they, they, they've, they've had a little bit of a dry spell here, but, um, yeah, I I mean, I, I, I kind of have to, I, I let my logic kind of pin me into certain takes sometimes. And my logic for a long time has been what, that if Nebraska makes the right hire, they can still be a very cr- close approximation of Nebraska. And they just made a great hire. So I think they're in very good shape to move forward as a program over the next five years. And, and very curious what that means, whether that means like top five good or merely top 10 good or whatever. Um, but I, I don't think a lot of them this year, uh, but moving forward, I think he'll be able to put the pieces that he wants together and, and it'll be a pretty solid rise. And, and I don't know how much that should scare Wisconsin. It should probably scare them a little bit. It should definitely scare like Iowa or Minnesota or, or other teams that are trying to, uh, stay either get or stay near the top of the big 10 West. But I, I mean, I, I think they're in very good shape. And if you make the conference title game, all you got to do is pull an upset and you're big 10 champion. So. Um, I'll tag this one on real fast just because it pertains to your previews. Uh, Ryan Starrett asks, uh, who's million yard, uh, who, I guess he's trying to say, who is the million yard running back that gets no national love going to be at San Diego state this year? Uh, yeah, that's another preview I have not yet written, but let's see who was last year's, uh, second leading rusher since that was basically the, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, Rashad Penny two years ago when he was uh, backing up Donnell Pumphrey, uh, he was averaging like, yes, yeah, seven and a half yards per carry. It was like, wow, this guy's going to be really good. Well, guess what? Uh, Jawan Washington, as Rashad Penny's backup last year, averaged six yards per carry. Good God. So he's probably going to be pretty good. Let's see. Y'all, how they're not doing this in a triple option either. Like, please understand mm-hmm. that this is just. Oof. Now, Penny was 5'11", uh, 220. Jawan Washington's 5'7", 190. Um, so maybe that creates a situation where he's sharing some of the load, but, uh, how do you not go to San Diego state? If you aren't recruited by a major P five and you live on that half of the country, all right, to hell with that. Let's just say you're a a lightly recruited running back in Ohio where it snows and can, (laughs) can be terrible sometimes. Why the hell would you not go play for San Diego state? Yeah, seriously. Um, I mean, that's, that was always the joke, you know, like I want to take an official visit to Hawaii because it's awesome. Well, you can take an official visit to San Diego state, stay on the mainland, uh, have equally good weather Mm -hmm. and then also rush for 2000 yards as a senior. Tacos are good too. Um, do you do you have one? Or you want me to do the next one? <laughs> uh, here's out of uh, our uh, Trayton Miller at Trayton Miller asks, "Was Stephen Garcia good?" Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, good, sure. Like, we're, I'm not gonna, you know, like. Why is that? A he thing? wasn't like a, a secret Heisman contender or anything, but he had his moments. Uh, he would have, like, if 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 this was a. Uh, if he was the quarterback of my team, it's one of the like he would have driven me absolutely batty, as I'm sure he drove a lot of uh, South Carolina fans. But number one, he, beat he had the moment. He had the moment in 2010. He was part of that. Um, beat Bama. Let's see, what was his final stat line in 2010? He completed 64% of his passes for 3,000 yards to 20 touchdowns. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. Uh, 2011, kind of lost the. <laughs> kind of lost the plot a little bit um did terrible and then was off the team but as a junior in 2010 very good quarterback Trayton do you want to know why Steven Garcia was good because he had a dynamic personality and was audacious enough to show little pieces of character and I don't even know going back what, what was his last year in college 12 2011 was when he 11 so okay so going back six odd years I don't even think that's possible today I think they, they <laughs> clamped down on the human element of character in these players. And it was just nice to have someone who was distinctive. Yeah, um, Barry, by the way, Barry Odom lets Drew Locke act like a fool after touchdown passes. So we do have that. He does because I was there for his first touchdown pass and he did act a fool. Um, Saman Jabari asks, which Pac-12 team <laughs> other than USC is taking a step backward in 18? He then tags yeah. on his own question. Is it weird? I think Stanford too. Um USC taking a step backward, I think, is a little presumptuous in the fact that they have to replace a quarterback, um, <clears> but they're usually pretty good at that. They may stumble against Stanford. Uh, I think it's like a week two game, uh, but they are still USC. I think I'm interested to see this year. Like The weird thing is like even with Sam Darnold, there weren't a lot of people in coaching that were necessarily in love with what USC was doing on offense. Um, I think that's been the one thing missing from the Clay Helton era is a definitive offensive identity, but they're a pretty good defensive football team. And I know they rotate some guys out. I don't know how many are in front of me, but I know it's a good amount, but I also know that they have like a bunch of really good sophomores and juniors too. So I don't know if I'm necessarily stamping USC as the team that takes the step back. And why would he think that Stanford's the team that takes the step back? I mean, you'd have to ask him, but I mean, I think just off the top of my head, like if, if, if they stay healthy at quarterback, they're going to be great. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, they got uh, their they got love back, and that was pretty impressive. Defensively, I'm not sure completely what they have, but they're going to be Stanford. <laughs> you know, they're going to be somewhere between top ten and top twenty five good, uh, and and they'll probably blow some scoring opportunities and lose a, a game that we think they shouldn't have. But they're going to be a solid team. Just looking at the like the Pac twelve roster right now, uh, an, another person responded to someone mentioning Washington State. I, I absolutely think Washington State's in trouble. This yeah, year. totally. Um, That's your answer. Right. We've talked about this a lot in our SB Nation Slack room, obviously, but I mean, number one, the Tyler Herlinski stuff is really tough to, to get past. And like our friend Brian Floyd mentioned, uh, you know, former Coug Center founder, um, yeah, we talk a lot about strength coaches and how they're kind of the mom of the program. Well, Washington State's strength coach left like right after uh, Tyler Herlinski died. And so that made that probably the coping part really tough. And then you lose like every single assistant coach. Uh, you're already replacing your starting quarterback and a big receiver and all this other stuff. This just feels like a really tough from a chemistry standpoint, from a keeping everybody's, uh, you know, keeping the arrows pointed in the right direction standpoint. This feels like a massive uh, challenge for Mike Leach. And I, I wish them well because they are having to cope with something more than just a, some assistants leaving or more than just the fact that Mike Leach openly – uh, accepted the Tennessee job and then didn't go um, that, you know, th- there's a very low track record for people, for teams responding well to that too. So there's just a lot of off the field stuff that that's going to get in their way. The only um, other, but yeah, otherwise, the only other team I can even think of, cause I think Utah is going to be pretty stout. Um, by the way, Costello is the quarterback at Stanford. And I mean, I, I, I don't think he's going to turn into Andrew Luck necessarily. I think it's because they got kind of whooped by, USC twice and they didn't look as good defensively as we, we got used to when like the the Derek Mason DC years when they were able to shut down like really good Oregon teams so I guess that's where Simon's perception is coming from like Colorado could be I feel like Colorado could fall off a cliff and it has nothing to do with Mike McIntyre and everything to well, do with the fact that it's but I think they kind of did already no but I'm saying like fall off the cliff like they they <laughs> they fell they definitely they regressed year over year from 16 to 17. I think if they don't address some of the issues that they have, like it's just a matter of recruiting talented. I mean, by the way, McIntyre was out there hunting for jobs just the same way. Like Leach was Colorado (laughs) is a hard place to recruit to for whatever the damn reason is right now. It's just, it's a program that doesn't know if it wants to pull. They've been pulling back into Texas, which is what I think you should do, but I think it's harder Mm -hmm. to do because they aren't a big 12 team anymore. Um, I like I like what they do. Um, I like that they run. I like that they run a lot of plays, and like I think it's I think it works for them. That Montez kid is fun to watch, but like they could fall off a cliff this year. I just looking at uh, from a pure S and P perspective, which obviously wasn't the nature of the question, but um, it allows me to frame things in my head. Um, just comparing last year's uh, ranking to what I perceive them to be this year, I don't really see any other teams falling because I mean, number one, USC was twenty sixth last year. I don't see them going lower than that. Um, Stanford was 32nd. I don't see them going any lower than that. Uh, Washington state will fall, but Oregon state's not going to be lower than hundred. They were 127th last year. That is, Oh, uh, Oregon's not going to be worse than 47th. Arizona state's probably not going to be worse than 81st. Even with all the question marks, I think we legitimately have about them. I, I, uh, I can't Arizona's say they're going to fall off. Cause I don't know if they're even in orbit right now. Right. Arizona 
probably won't be uh, worse than 48th because they have Khalil Tate, but we'll see. They, I, I'm still not impressed with uh, some of the hires someone made, but uh, really, the I, I don't think, like Utah was 33rd. They could technically be lower than that, although I don't think they will be. I think they're going to be pretty good this year. So really, this does feel like a conference that, uh, in those ways, kind of bottomed out last year and um, should probably take a, a step forward just because, you know, not, not a massive step or anything like that, but just because there are a lot of teams that were artificially low you could say um compared to their kind of historical uh you know standing so i I do think that it'll be a better pac-12 this year which i mean good thing because you can't get much worse than last year Uh, here's one joey weaver at ftrs joey uh from the rumble seat joey uh our georgia tech site uh when is friend of the program manny diaz going to get a head coaching opportunity um, mm. I, you know, if a couple of years, I, I, I kind of thought his trajectory was such that he probably would by now. Um, he's got it really good in that he's in his hometown Yep. and, um, it, you know, his defense has been pretty solid and he doesn't have to take just any job now because he's in a very, very good position. Um, and he doesn't have to settle. So that'll probably, you know, if, if Rick stock still ever retires, you know, Manny Diaz has uh, middle Tennessee experience on his resume. Uh, he doesn't have to take that job if he doesn't want to. Um, I got one for you, Bill. Okay. Let's say the lane train pulls out of Boca. Ah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Very talented roster. Yep. And he can maintain the momentum that they've built in South Florida too. So I think yeah. that's a, I think that might be one to, to keep an eye on. I mean, Butch Davis isn't young, so he's probably not going to stay at FIU forever either. And so either one of those would be pretty interesting jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Javonovan Jack, I, I think that's a pin name. Um, Ask PAPN. I am still a relatively new listener. Listened to all of last season and some of the off season. Uh, thank you. That doesn't make you a new listener in my opinion. Is Project X, is Project X actually some inside joke about the movie? Um, I was so sure it wasn't, but now I don't know how to feel. Did I miss a show or something? I didn't realize at the time Project X became a quick shorthand for what I'm actually working on that hasn't been talked about publicly yet, but it is an SB Nation project. I did realize there is a movie called Project X, which is like a it's like a super bad or hangover type film, but it's done found footage style, I think. Sure, okay. right. Um, I didn't see it, but I, it does show up in IMDb. Um, no, we're not talking about that movie. Um, I have been working on a television project since going back to, uh, I mean, going back to discussions all the way into like late September of last year. Um, I was gone in November to shoot some stuff. I've been doing reshoots and, and edits. Um, if you follow my career, um, <laughs> It's not that hard to figure out what I've been doing. Um, it's for a partnership, so it's it's going to be not to call back to the, the the riveting ESPN Plus segment that we did at the top of the show, but it will be for a sort of television streaming service type thing in 2018. Um, it will accompany journalism reporting investigative work I've already done some stuff I'm still working on. And then, uh, hopefully I'll be able to put a bow on that very large story. And again, if you follow my byline specifically and what I've done over the past really year and a half, then I think it's pretty obvious what I'm working on. Um, but I am bound not to say anything yet. Um, there's like actual legal, uh, this isn't me just being coy. Um, so that's, Project X is not the movie. Project X was just something where at the time we didn't know what it was going to be. 
some might argue we still don't um but i've been i was gone for what five episodes in november something, something like, that. like that yeah well yeah, more than that time. because we were doing two a week but yeah like right, five, five weeks, five yeah. weeks of episodes um and i made i may duck out again once um but i doubt it i think i think i'm kind of i'm back on papn back home as i should be um but i will have more information and believe me if you think you're if you get annoyed by the fact that i'm asking for like you guys to tweet questions about espn plus i'm going to make you guys download an app here in a couple weeks or months i think um and i'm going to ask you for proof that you do it because this is a free podcast (laughs) um because dad's got to pay the mortgage um so that's that Um, 2012 film uh, a comedy about three friends who plan to gain popularity by throwing a party, a plan which quickly escalates out of control. It was also a 1987 film starring Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunt about an, a, a, an Air Force airman and a graduate student who are assigned to care for chimpanzees in a special Ooh, like Air, that, Force, that. A secret Air Force project. So that's the one you're working on. Hell yeah. And it's I'm... also a 1968 film starring a bunch of people I haven't heard of and Christopher George, uh, science fiction, something or other. It echoes some geopolitical themes of the late 60s such as overpopulation emerging blah 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 blah, blah. Uh, we'll go with the monkeys one totally i want to move uh, dude a monkey and helen hunt i'm down um michael smith at mike smith ua in any given year which of these is uh, unlikely events is the most likely <laughs> i already say none uh number one three teams from the same conference make the playoffs number two two g5 teams make the playoffs okay no. number two is not gonna make the list <laughs> number three Five P5 teams have a perfect record going into the playoffs. Hmm. Oh, is it number yeah, one? G- G5 one's done. I mean, it, yeah, you, that's to not, make that's not an option, you have to put one uh, P- G5 team on there. Like, I don't hey, even we've think done that's this possible. on the show before, Bill. You have to create hell on earth for one to have a have a sniffing chance. Right. Do you have to create a, you have, like one team per year has the schedule for it, and then that team has to go 12 and 0, 13 and 0. So no. you would literally have to, it would be like the plot of a fallout game where there's only like 40 programs left after a nuclear explosion. And one of them's radioactive and like Tulsa has four arms on every player. I don't know. Um, I think the answer is number one and I don't think any yeah. of them could happen. Yeah. I mean the five, it's so hard for the five P five teams to all finish 13 and no, I, I don't see that one. Uh, but it's only slightly less like, well, so I'm, I'm trying to craft a scenario here. So the first one, the most likely scenario would be like Alabama and Georgia finishing 12 and 0. Uh, one beats the other 28, 27 in the SEC title game. And then you've also got Auburn or LSU or Florida or whoever who went 11 and one and only lost to say the the SEC champion. And then three of the other P5 champions lost at least twice. I, that's not entirely unrealistic um it's it's very not likely but i would say that that scenario makes more sense in my head than like all five power five conferences having a 13 and 0 champion um i yeah yeah i definitely number one dan greenspan at dan greenspan asks dan i need you to show your work um which teams have the easiest and hardest transitions to a new offensive system under their new head coaches uh where does ucla fall on the spectrum given the final two years under mora dan i don't know all of them off the top of my head um i don't think it's going to be um a massive undertaking in westwood they have to no, condition that was, to speed. that question i assumed that was the answer yeah, yeah um 
I'm not gonna say it's the easiest either because they just they've recruited different. I think line play has to change dramatic. I mean, I'm just remembering all the stuff I used to read about Oregon and conversations I've had to go. First off, we don't know what he's gonna run. I think a lot of people ask that. That was a question that got kicked around after he got hired on the coaching side because a lot of coaches made very good points, which is like he's not just gonna come in and and take the Oregon playbook from his what was his last year 11, 12, whatever like. His last game was against K State. I remember it's not gonna be like, all right, guys, this is what we're running. He's going. He's iterated. I, I, if anything, he regressed a lot in his play calling and his schemes and yeah. stuff and the pros. But I think he has a way of looking at the college game, and he knows the West Coast so well. He's gonna. I think you're going to see something different this year. Not radically different. They're gonna go fast, and you know they're gonna run zone, and they're going to look like Oregon in some in some way. But I don't think they're going to be Oregon. Um, or their old yeah. Oregon, not not the Mario Cristobal Oregon. But um, whew, the toughest time in terms of transition, Bill. You're doing season previews right now, and you're you're down in the G5 dregs. I mean, um, anybody that's it's funny. Like Kent State might be one because they're trying to they're <laughs> they're trying to go Dino Babers Bowling Green offense. Um, that's not just going to happen overnight. Um, Ooh, yeah, that one's going to be a struggle. Gosh, uh, ULL might be a little bit of a struggle, but they have a lot of talent. Um, I think he probably is asking more on a P5 level. I mean, there's no major adjustment yeah. being made for under a first-year head coach that pops into mind. Like, I would say like one one that I'm pretty excited about is I, I really do this whole quote-unquote Gulf Coast offense of Florida State. Um, I don't think it's going to be a struggle, though, at all. Well, no, I know. I kind of went back to the – Oh, the, what's going to be the easiest? The, yeah, without the, a the doubt. The good part, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to fit really well. And like I, I, I hinted last week, I think it's going to fit well enough to where we're going to start questioning Jimbo Fisher a little bit. Like why the hell, why the hell were you going out of your way not to use your personnel in this way? Um, there's the answer. Texas A&M. There's the answer. <laughs> Texas A&M. Let's see. What, Texas A&M. What is their, yeah, they got the two quarterbacks, Mond and Starkle. Um, yeah, I mean that's. Yep. It, it's gonna take a little while, uh, and we saw what you know. James Blackman was a first year guy in his system last year, and and uh, it took him a while to get things going. Once he did, uh, he started showing promise pretty fast. But yeah, that could be. Yeah, that's a pretty good one, especially since the receiving core loses Christian Kirk, loses Damian Ratley. Uh, the two returning receivers were freshmen last year, um, and Jimbo Fisher never had his receiving core never quite seemed to be as good as it was supposed to be. Uh, part of that is you know, he had injuries a lot of the time, but yeah, no, that, there we go. There's a good answer. Daryl Dickey was hired uh, across a good answer. Yeah. Daryl Dickey was hired from Memphis. I like the hire, but I don't know what it means in the context of working on Fisher's staff. Yeah. That so that there's your, sorry, sorry, Ags. Um, there's your answer, I guess. <laughs> um, man, y'all are, some of y'all are asking multi-tweet questions, which is fine. I just have to like, find where it starts um mr gupta by the way you asked four questions in a row i see you in my tl um <laughs> we'll, we'll do one of those i guess i'm just gonna pick one at random you ready i'm not gonna okay if you're gonna ask bill about data scraping i'll let him do that in a tweet there are i do have limits on this show um <laughs> god okay um is there a good way uh man they're all data questions don't you nerds get a room is there a good way to statistically account for momentum from game to game? I.e. Arizona was hot in October. Miami ranked at the end of the season. Um, similarly, curious about how you can account for a quarterback bailing out in a crappy O-line. And if I asked, if we did this question last week, no, we didn't. Uh, no. Um, 
I, you know, I'm open to suggestion regarding the first because you can tell some teams absolutely get better or worse as the season goes on. When you have 12 data points, like from a from a stat standpoint, it's so hard to because I mean you can give like more recent games slightly more weight, but I've never. I've never found the balance for making any sort of weighted formula that makes my predictions better. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. and, By the and way, so, uh, Shakar asked, I just realized that was the batch that he asked us last week. He asked four new ones three hours ago. So we'll do one of those too. Cause they're uh, good yeah. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at Shakar Gupta 94. He is, I hope you pronounce, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name, right? You are asking very good questions. You may be my question asker of the week, dethroning one Brian man. Um, Here's a good one. We can jump back onto USC for a second and stay dangerously popular with actual name brand. Because he's a USC fan. Because he's a, he says put, puts on USC hat. How do you statistically account for a defense carrying the offense, i.e. USC in 2017, where the defense was better by, quote, I test, but performed statistically worse than the offense, which was plagued, especially in the red zone? That's a question I'm going to have to defer to you on. Um, I, do know, <laughs> I do know that USC, when they were not getting the crap kicked out of them by Ohio State, uh, was, was certainly carried by their defense. Hey, that's one thing that Sam Darnold and Josh Allen have in common. How about that? <laughs> um, their defense had a couple good games. Like, their defense wasn't that good, so I don't really know how. I think, man, this is a tough one to, to start. Um, USC's offense, quote-unquote, struggled in ways that we kind of overstate. Number one, they did uh, struggle in the red zone at times, uh, but they got to the red zone a lot. Uh, number two, uh, the turnovers, you know, Stan Darnold fumbling a lot. How many fumbles did he end up with, actually? Um, he, he fumbled 12. Now, he lost nine of them, so part of that was unlucky. Um, you'll, you, there are always a handful of quarterbacks that end up fumbling 10, 11, 12 times in a season. Most of the time, you only lose five or six and not nine. Uh, but I think, you know, that was – he threw a bunch of picks early in the year. He had some fumbles that if he fumbled, clearly he was going to lose. Uh, and, that, you know, lucky or non-lucky, unlucky. Uh, but I think we overstated the quote-unquote struggles with their offense. They, even against Ohio State, you know, they – how many yards did they end up with in that game? They ended up uh, drastically outgaining Ohio State uh, and, and uh, creating far more scoring opportunities than Ohio State. But those turnovers early on in Ohio State's, uh, you know, Urban Meyer's ability to just slowly morph into Woody Hayes uh, just took any sort of interest <laughs> out of that game. But they were a good offense, a very explosive offense that was a mistake-prone offense, in part because, you know, Darnold was still a redshirt sophomore, and um, they were counting on freshmen like Tyler Vons uh, and uh, Stephen Carr, uh, running back, uh, to, to make a, 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 you know, to make a difference, and sometimes that backfired. But they had a very good offense, and so... Their, you know, and their defense was kind of the alternate uh, scenario where they gave up a ton of red zone opportunities. They were just pretty good at stopping them you short of the end zone. Uh, and that was their biggest strength. So, no, I, I don't I think their offense was absolutely better last year. That's um, a defense. It's just the way they failed was a way that we remember. That's a defensive philosophy that does not does not exclude really, really talented teams like USC. It's not about yardage anymore. Right. It's about scores per attempt and possessions. And so. If USC wants to give up 500 yards in a game, but you're scoring, what, three, four points a drive instead of seven, they're fine with that. Everybody should be fine with that. That's that's just the evolution of the sport. 
their offense was bad twice against Ohio State, where they still created a ton of scoring opportunities and just didn't convert, and Notre Dame, where they just got drubbed offensively, defensively, every way that a, a team can get drubbed. They got drubbed at, at Notre Dame. Otherwise, I mean, they were in their wins. They gave up 28, 23, 24, 35. They killed Arizona State. But they Who's gave up their best win, though? The two Stanford wins? Yeah. Stanford won eight games. And I mean, the first Stanford game, they won 42, 24, they gave up at least 24 in both Stanford wins too. They scored 42 the first time and 31 the second time. So, um, I remember watching this just anecdotally, the second half of the, the conference championship game, they had a bunch of chunk plays in the second half. Like oh, they Texas weren't, was the other one. And, oh, and maybe, oh yeah. Maybe were, that was, I mean, they, their offense struggled in that game. That, but I mean, Darnold just came out of the gates throwing a ton of picks and he got that under control for the most part mm-hmm. over the second half of the year. But also Texas's defense was really good last year. Um, Texas defense was not the problem and the Texas off or the USC defense giving up 27 po- or 24 points to Texas was kind of damning. So <laughs> can um, I just pause here and say that that game this fall might be the first time I'll ever believe that like a Texas home crowd could be in like influence a game. Okay. I think they're going to be really fired up for that. It's year two for Herman. So system guys are kind of in place. I think he, he, he feasts on moments like that. Having been around yeah. the program, the week of the Oklahoma game, when he, when he was at Houston, um, that's going to be maybe for the first time, a raucous Texas home game. Don't at me, Texas. I love you to death. I love Austin, but y'all's home. Y'all's home crowds are terrible. <laughs> They're so bad. Um, well, Texas it, has proven, or Tom Herman has proven, like he'll get his team up for the big games. And so yeah. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, Got to beat Oki State. Just got to beat Oki State. Actually, one more question from Shikar, because uh, I can do this one really fast. He says, which conference do you think will swallow up Liberty? Uh, no one is in line to swallow up Liberty. If anything, many people have already spit them out. Um, <laughs> Sunbelt. Sunbelt was the logical choice. There is a lot of tension inside of the Sunbelt about bringing on Liberty for all the reasons you think. Um, Liberty does, is not a value add immediately. It does not add television eyeballs if there are such a thing anymore. Um, and from a competitive recruiting, I mean, what is what are they jumping out and grabbing you? Like, Liberty's fairly close to, what, Coastal and App? Mm-hmm. I don't think either one of those schools want them in the conference for just recruiting reasons. I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't want to be like, let me be careful on how I answer this. Cause I said it was going to be a short answer. <laughs> we I'm always delicate in that we rag on the BYU Mormon thing. And we trivialize aspects of a religion that by the way, like, you know, the LDS community is always just like unfailingly nice and polite. And so I don't want to do the same thing here and just, smear liberty because of their religious beliefs because i happen to think you know liberty skews on like a hardcore probably probably the liberty culture right now is probably more damaging than a byu culture in terms of the religious beliefs that are put in that are put out publicly and how that relates to college sports I'm trying to walk they have tied, Let's put it this way. I, I know what you're saying, and I'll just say that their their adherence to hiring everybody from Baylor is not doing them any favors. Jesus, right man. That okay. Actually, I wasn't talking about that, but that's a, that's an even better point. <laughs> um, I, nobody's lining up to sign up Liberty right now. Is the short answer. I, I, they basically the way I looked at their move to FBS is basically like we'll go independent and we'll try to kick butt and if we kick butt somebody they won't have any choice but to bring us on and honestly they're probably right um, like Conference USA okay, and where? Sunbelt huh 
There's two options, Conference USA and the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt, from, I mean, I can tell you as a reporter, the Sun Belt has kicked that can around and decided it's probably not for the best. I'm not saying yeah. it couldn't ever happen, but I'm saying like the individual Sun Belt membership was like, oh, man, there's a lot of baggage there. Yeah. Um, and then again, as I just said, they don't really have a huge collection of pluses. And then, so what do you do with the CUSA? Just yeah. add more randomness to that soup? Like, I don't think the, I don't think it gives anything to Conference USA either. So, good luck joining the AAC. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think basically if they start going eight and four every year, then a conference will pick them up. Otherwise, yeah, there's um, why, but who? Well, Conference USA or Sunbelt. I don't think so. Because both of those. The only reason I think the only way that happens, Bill, is if there's another shift. If if Big Twelve relents, pulls in Houston well, and and the Floridas or something like that, and then they, everyone has to well, shift up too, again. Though, that we are in these next few years, we really might, as we've talked about on the show, we might see some reshuffling of of those two conferences, especially just in terms of making things more sensible ge- geographically. And if so, if the eastern, yeah. <laughs> if the eastern one of those conferences with the Virginia schools and the North Carolina schools and all that, if they start to form their own conference and they're looking for a, a competitive program that uh they don't have to drive very far that their volleyball team doesn't have to drive very far to play uh then i think liberty becomes a very viable option at that point uh but no their baggage is not think, helping them um, in the current um the current program as it stands they gotta beat baylor a lot let's put it that way they gotta they gotta win a lot of interesting games it just doesn't make sense to me because right now, unless there's an absolute, unless there's a gap that you have to fill to maintain your obligation to your television contract, i.e., you know, the Big 12 expands, so the AAC took some teams and then the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you're going to have an openly gay athlete that's going to have <laughs> to go to Liberty. And it's yeah. going, I mean, I can write yep. the story. Um, and it's, it's going to be a problem. So I don't think they move yet until there's an absolute like dire need on behalf of one of those conferences. But there's always a dire um, need for quality. That's my, that's my point. Um, and yeah. so if they're good long enough, uh, a conference won't have a choice, but you're gonna have to be get a little extra because of the quote unquote baggage that you're bringing to the table here. That's tough. Um, <laughs> our friend shaking the Southland at ST Southland, uh, Obligatory question designed to get you to talk about the Clemson DL. Uh, the Clemson defensive line is going to be amazing this year and it's going to be so much fun. Ooh. Next, um, I, yeah, I don't even know what else to say. Like, it's just what's Spencer's old joke: werewolf of the chain, uh, werewolf of the chainsaw penis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just so, like we were just talking last week about like the Indomitian Seuss type wheat thresher lines. Um, it's going to be brutal, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I hope Clemson's offense is ready to take a step forward enough so that the defense and offense are both dominant, and they can when they, if they reach the playoff again, they don't get crushed by Alabama. Uh, oh, um, I meant to tie this one on to what we were talking about earlier with Florida State, and I forgot. At Dakota, at Dak Moyer, Dakota Moyer asks, is uh, FSU's Walt Bell a candidate for an HC job in the next year or two? On the same note, how would potential employers differentiate his knowledge slash, slash input, given that Willie will be calling the majority of the plays? Uh, n- not in the next year or two. Walt Bell, though, has had a really interesting trajectory uh, mm-hmm. in that he kind of – I'm going to pull up his resume to get it right here. Um, he was at 
he, he was at like the Sun Belt level for a long time. He was at Southern Miss. He was at Middle Tennessee. He was at Arkansas State. Uh, he was a GA for like 19 years or whatever. Um, and a quality control coach as well for a little bit at Oklahoma State. He was just kind of gravitating around that level of kind of quality control position coach type. And then, boom, he goes straight to offensive coordinator pretty much. Uh, and, and clearly he knows what he's doing about he can he, he knows what he's doing he can impress other coaches um he has not yet led a good offense though so um at some point you're gonna well, hit your ceiling until you do that and i do think willie taggart's gonna get a lot of of the credit for fsu's offensive turnaround yeah. here in the next couple of years well let me say this i've been around i've been in two rooms for at two different programs when willie was was game planning and he is a offensive football coach. There is no doubt. I've seen it. I've seen with two completely different defensive coordinators, defensive staffs. Like, you know, he goes in in a head coach capacity, but the defense, the defense is run by the defensive coaches. And then he is in the offensive rooms, you know, working on the plan and whatever capacity he, he might be less or more or whatever. It's, it's a pretty open room though. Like he definitely is. He is a, he's a committee type guy when it comes to drawing plays and, and, and creating overall plans. Um, it's not as totalitarian or, or as like uh, book based in terms of like, here's the scheme. This is what we're going to do. Like Mike, Mike Leach air raid style. It's not that either. They're, they, they really like to get situational. Um, it's been simplified since they went to Gulf coast um, after that pivotal Syracuse week, however many years ago at South Florida. But Walt Bell took this job because it's Florida state. He also took this job because amongst other coaches, um, it is known that Willie runs a democratic room and he will get credit, maybe not on the ESPN broadcast, but he will get credit um, in coaching circles if they are particularly good. Um, but he won't leave next year. I think, no. I think you go a year or two and really prove what you've got. And then I think he could be out in two years if he wants. Um, but also like this is, you bring up a good point with this. He's had a really eclectic career and he's had a really, I think he's, he's done well and, and picked smart gigs, but you're the offensive coordinator at Florida state. Why, like, why are you jumping out? Remember like the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators at Clemson are real cozy. So if you're particularly effective and Willie likes you hang tight until the right job opens. Right. So I don't think he's going anywhere. No. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to take, plus he's still somehow only like 34. He's had like 18 yeah. jobs. Uh, he's not very old at all. Um, Dude, hang out. I mean, I will say like hang out at the P five level. Cause he's never really been there before. You're going to learn a hell of a lot more than you realize. He knows this, but I'm just telling y'all it's like listeners, those, the smart guys will go in like Herman did this for years, right? Herman hung out and as an offensive assistant and one of the largest programs in the country and learned how a P five program is run. Then you take that and you apply it to whatever G five you think you can have success at as a first time head coach for me <laughs> um, um, i got one sig okay. city uh ryan secretson um does the acc still have a middle class issue i don't think so i think i, I think we're getting there i always talked about the cul-de-sac i mean um i know that was a big joke last year i mean i think they're they're getting there so his his question is that there's too much of a middle <laughs> no i used to remember it last season God, you just forget things. This is a true. No, I, I, I remember how um, you framed it. I don't understand the question. I said we. I said they needed to have a, um, an upper middle class, like mm-hmm. uh, McMansion cul-de-sac. I, I called it of like the not the not the true elite blue bloods like Florida State and Clemson, but you you needed to have the like upper middle class programs at NC State, and right. you know can, what can you do with Virginia, and what can you do with 
you know, North Carolina. I have those schools taking a step forward. Or are they showing proof of concept in the process? I mean, obviously NC state, um, I would say NC state. Yes. Um, I don't know how much they can maintain another coach that flirted heavily with other jobs. I'll say that they're losing a ton of talent. Plus the whole, when you flirt with other jobs and come back, it doesn't always work very well. Yeah. Well, Dave Dorn was like, Dave Dorn was like a day and a half, maybe even less in terms of like down to the hour, the next head coach at Ole Miss. Um, so I think Debbie Yao knew that I'll put it that way. I think the ACC is in pretty good shape just because Miami is starting to look like Miami and they're recruiting at a top five or 10 level again. Um, and then you add that to Florida state getting its momentum back. Um, oh, I just used the, the M word, uh, Clemson still being Clemson. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that you know, Virginia tech is, is going to be at a top 20 level pretty soon. So, I mean, I, I like that, but in terms of that kind of that next level, NC state is probably going to fall off this year. Maybe they're still fine down the line. I'm not sure, but this was, I think we're going to more and more look back at 2017 as a missed opportunity for them. Um, and I don't trust Virginia yet. I kind of want to, and then maybe they are going to figure some things out, but, or maybe they just got hot for a month. Um, which happens at a lot of programs. Louisville's going to struggle to maintain. I mean, they barely they went eight and five last year with Lamar. Um, and, and now they're on their third de- defensive coordinator in three years. And, and that coordinator's name is Van Gorder. So um, that's going to be a struggle. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Virginia Tech, you know, if you have a good Virginia Tech and a very good Miami, then you've got a good conference. But I don't see any of those teams doing better than they have over the last couple of years. Wake Forest, maybe. Wait, maybe Wake Forest is um is still uh, has some rising potential, but they're still Wake Forest. So, I mean, there's not exactly a top ten ceiling there. I got one. Um, pl- I love this question. Uh, plus plus money at Bomb the River. Okay. <laughs> um, most of the final CFB playoff games have been amazing, while most BCS championship games were crappy. Tw- uh, 2005 and 2013 okay. accepted. Uh, is the one week between playoffs and title game responsible for better, more exciting games, or is this just a fluke? I don't mm, think it's. I mean, question. maybe there's a little bit of a rhythm involved. I love the question. Um, I, maybe there's a little bit of rhythm involved with the whole one week thing. I just think it's th- that the playoff gives you one more chance to get the matchup right. I think that's the um, that is the yeah. right answer in, in as much as I would attribute that for the majority of the reason why. I do think the momentum thing has has some something to do with it because on the collegiate level, um coaches complain constantly about like well, they complain about a bunch <laughs> of dumb stuff because they're code like distractions and culture. But I do think um uh, game shape and and the physicality of like the workout pads no pads heel like they're real particular about that as they as more and more staffs get into like the finer points of physiology so mm-hmm. i think there is something to that but i do think the bigger answer is the fact that like you you kind of get a better referendum on the two teams that should play Right. I, I mean, I, I do think that's number one. And also, you know, in 2014, we had an amazing Alabama Ohio state game. And in 2017, Oklahoma Georgia semifinal was the best game of the year. So it, we've had a lot of blowouts too. Alabama Clemson was bad, but I don't necessarily think that was a bowl break thing. I think just think Alabama knew how to beat Clemson, uh, Clemson, Ohio state last year and Alabama, Washington were both bad, but I think that's because Alabama and Clemson were by far the two best teams. And in ABCS, they would have played that year. They were one, two, um, what 2015 you had Clemson whooping Oklahoma and Alabama whooping Michigan State again they were one two so they would have played in the BCS too um, 
And and again, maybe them getting a warm up game helped the national title game be really good. But I think those two years were mainly because it was just Alabama and Clemson being the best two teams and being very even. Uh, but no, I mean in twenty fourteen, Alabama Ohio State was better than Ohio State Oregon. So uh, you know that that isn't really a very good proof of concept. And last year, maybe the only game better than Alabama Georgia was Oklahoma Georgia. Um, but it's funny though, uh, you know, just based on those seedings. There was a chance we would have had a BCS title game of Clemson, Oklahoma last year instead of Alabama, Georgia. Um, uh, and that would have been a damn shame. It's awful. Bill, how long yeah. have we been doing this podcast? Uh, we have been going uh, almost 90 minutes. So I guess that means we should probably stop. We should stop because um, I have to go to a meeting in two minutes. So oh, well, yes, we have stuff we didn't even get to. Bill's working on a project about the Ivy Leagues. We're also going to talk about an academic paper. Don't get too excited now. We'll save that for next yeah, week. Um, I'll have to bookmark this one, yeah. But uh, um, a bunch of people responded really well to that Atlantic essay thing. So we'll, we'll try and get a little more um, philosophical on you guys <laughs> occasionally from time to time. Uh, uh, that is the robot Bill Connolly. You can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. Please hit me up on ask PA, uh, hashtag AskPAPN for your ESPN Plus questions because I am going to bother their head of PR about this, and we're going to try and find out what the hell we're paying $5 for because we're going to pay $5 because we're all idiots and we love to watch Akron play bowling. <laughs>